Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. She called me up on a slide. She said, please don't tell all your friends. Because they might tell my husband. Then you know I'll never see you You know he'll probably want to beat you And I'm sure he will be beat you So I call you on the slide Please don't ask us you know why What's you see going me? on? Yeah, I can see you, I can hear you You're looking and sounding good, Vic Alright, good How are you? I'm good, I've been a little groggy since the end of the tour yeah, well, you were chatting to me at 4 a.m., your time. Is that regular for you, or are you just still in that kind of tour brain? Nah, it's, that's, my normal, that's my normal scenario, usually. Is it? Are you very much a creature of the night, are you? I am. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, where are you right now? Paint the scene for people listening, because that looks like <clears throat> the, ul- the ultimate musician's man cave, where you are. Oh, well, actually, I'm at, my fr- I'm at a friend's house who happens to have the ultimate hangout for me. There's yeah. record plays and guitars and all sorts of great stuff. So I'm like, you know, crashing on the couch and uh, and having a blast, eating food, sleeping all day. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a really good time hanging with you on the boat, man. And there's so much I want to talk to you about today. But just out the gate, I want to say, I think I said something to this effect to you one night on the ship, but... There's something about what you guys bring that's so plugged in to the tradition of of ska and of American music. You know, there's many bands mm. that do a kind of a contemporary take, and it's only a contemporary take well. What you guys do is a contemporary take on a traditional form, and you're really plugged in to the history and the lineage of it. And watching you guys live 
you know you're a real band's band and it's evident that playing <laughs> li- playing live is where you guys truly exist and thrive um and it yeah. just shines it just comes across in the live show you know your your sets are more of an event and a happening and and a kind of um a moment in time that will never be repeated you know like i doubt there's ever been two slacker shows that are the same ever and you've obviously done hundreds mm. No, we don't, we definitely don't stick to a script. It's not a, I mean, if uh, there's some guys in the band that like to do things that are rehearsed, you know, that they're like, hey, we make sure we rehearse it. And then there's guys like me that are willing to kind of throw it to the, like, you know, see what the cards deal, you know? Um, but that's good. It's true. There's there's not like, there's not a script. We don't follow a, a thing too much, you know? Yeah, well, it's, for me, the live music environment should be spontaneous and it should be um, unique to that one place and time and that moment. Yeah, totally. Totally. You know? And the thing is, too, we got you got to trust. I mean, we trust ourselves with the uh, like, I mean, you were saying you can hear that we've we've studied a lot. So there's a lot of things that we know that, hey, if we screw it up today, it, it doesn't mean it wasn't for lack of practice. You know, it's <laughs> like a lot of times it's just, yeah, it's the luck of the draw. You screw up and you go, well, okay, I'll try to do better tomorrow, you know? Yeah. Well, sometimes mistakes make it, you know, memorable. I I, I think that. I feel that. Mm. I'd rather see a band be honest and raw up there than, you know, phoning it in with some pre-rehearsed, tried and tested formula. I know. I know. That's my taste also. I know that not everyone agrees with that. That's one of those things that... um, I learn as I go along, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm like, Oh, look at that, that band really like, they seem like it's a little, it's a little out of the box and people will say, Oh, but that's, what's great. I mean, they're just so tight and it's, it's all, it's all well thought out and planned. Yeah, it's good. Different taste, you know? Um, the slack is we study a lot and we're very critical of ourselves, you know, in rehearsal and songwriting and making a record, but we also know that the great thing about live music is that it's spontaneous. It just, you know, it clicks. Some some magic happens. The audience is a part of that where they're all in on it, you know, because they make us play better, you know? Yeah. Did you have a good time on the boat? I had an absolutely amazing time watching you guys, especially that daytime afternoon pool deck set. That was just the best. <laughs> We had a we had a good time. I gotta say, I kept myself really busy because the only other time that I did that uh, Flog and Molly tour, I found myself, um, you know, really antsy, and uh, I needed I need to have activity, you know. So I kind of like I I I signed up for everything I could possibly do. <laughs> well, I got I got to see you and Marcus and Warren doing the innuendo bingo. And that was just genius. My friend Danny hosted that. And that was amazing. What a riot. And and just the chemistry up there, like, you know, you and, and Marcus and, and Warren, obviously very different energies <laughs> together. It just worked. And she yeah, it did, was bizarre. She I did was... a great job of shepherding yeah. all, all the madness. <laughs> I was happy that Marcus was there. That was really more of a Marcus. Uh, that was where his talents can really shine. You know, and Warren, forget about it. I had no idea. Like Warren is just like, yeah. He's a unique dude, isn't he? Had you never met or spent time around him before that cruise then? No, I yeah. didn't realize he was such a mad genius. Like that's yeah. really He's a, he's yeah. like a savant. You know, he's he's way out there. He's a brilliant illustrator, 
uh, mm-hmm. an incredible musician and songwriter and just as a performer. Did you get to see him when they were playing, when the Vandals were playing on the last night? He jumped off the stage with his kind of oh, cord- yeah. cordless mic, went to the back of the boat, got in the hot tub I with did. everyone, started singing Queen. I was like, this guy is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I was impressed with that. I thought, wow, this is like, yeah, he really is the guy. I, I always knew that he was the kind of like clown prince of the uh, of the Vandals. Um, that was a pretty spectacular performance. That one, that was the best, wasn't it? Just, um, I want to talk to you all about New York, if that's all right, mate. I am fascinated yeah, sure. with the history of that city. Uh, whenever I have anybody from New York on the show, I always try and you know get their whole timeline. Um, as much as you want to go into, I'm presuming you were born. Ray is like your entire worldview, personality, taste in music, friendship circles, like everything is, is kind of formed and forged in and around New York. Is that safe to say? Yeah. Yeah. That's my, that's my origin story. Where did you, where, where were you, you know, initially raised? Where were the early formative years spent? Well, born, I'm born in the Bronx in a kind of an old, uh, the northeast part of the Bronx that was that had been an old Italian, Irish, and Jewish neighborhood uh, where they all met. Actually, these neighbors they they all met, and I I lived right kind of at the at a meeting point between all those neighborhoods, and so it's a very old school New York, uh, you know, era that doesn't really exist to that level anymore. A lot of those immigrant groups, you know, kind of got on their feet, moved to the suburbs. Um, and my family, you know, yeah, did the same at some point, a lot of them. And uh, yeah, it's it's part of like my old school. I have a bit of the old school New York um, that exists from the outer boroughs, you know. And then uh, as soon as I could, I, I moved down to Manhattan because that's where everything was going on. Uh you know, I remember like watching Sesame Street and stuff, you know, and thinking uh-huh, yeah. like, hey, you know, I yeah. guess we all, everybody want, everybody's looking at New York, you know, I better like take advantage of uh, what I've, what I've been given, you know. How old were you when you made that move? I moved down at about 17, I think. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was going to school. I was doing a, a couple of things, you know, I just, I graduated high school, uh, like early and stuff. So I, I ended up in Manhattan. Yeah. Just at the, about the right time. And, uh, that was like late eighties, late, late eighties. Yeah. Late eighties. So I got to catch some really of the, the remnants of the cool old New York punk scene. Like some of the original guys all hanging out. It was, this was cool, you know, to, to touch it, you know, they were still around were they? Cause late eighties, you know, I imagine obviously kind of like late seventies, early mid 80s there's all as you say the amazing punk stuff happening you've also Mm -hmm. got hip-hop exploding Um, oh yeah as it gets towards the end of the 80s and you're arriving what is the overall mood and and what are the acts that are still there and kind of making waves and and i and the characters man because as you say like in the 80s there would have still been people like lou reed and warhol and all those cats just hanging around i presume and basquiat and yeah totally Totally. Well, that's the thing is like, so I guess from, I guess from the mid eighties, when I started going down to see shows, like while I was still in high school, right. I'd go down to see gigs 
poke my head around. That was still the 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 golden age of the hardcore scene really kicking in. So that was my entree. And then um yeah, once I was hanging around and I actually had time to poke my head around, um yeah, it's amazing how many of those guys would just literally like I'd go to I go to a bar to see a band and I'd be standing next to like uh, Jerry Nolan from the New York Dolls or uh, I'd see Cheetah Chrome drinking in a bar or uh, Allen Ginsberg was everywhere. Like you couldn't get away from Allen Ginsberg. Like he was just everywhere in the city that I went. Um, so much so that I really took it for granted. And when I realized how cool that was and, and who he was like if that happened now i would freak out um but back then it was just like oh ginsburg again like come on like what's he what's he doing you know guy's crazy you know <laughs> i guess he would have been completely enamored with the punk scene right because for me there is a direct timeline hmm. between the beats and the hippies and then the punks you know although sometimes punks like to say you know fuck hippies we're very different I think it's all the same, isn't it? It's all kind of about expression oh, yeah. and, and self-empowerment and, you know, trying to make positive change and being yourself and, and all of these things. And it did kind of go beats, hippies, punks. And it's all sort of the same, oh, yeah. isn't it? It just takes on different manifestations. Yeah, actually, one of, one of the cool movies, uh, I don't know if you can find it anywhere. It was called Gang of Souls. And Gang of Souls was a really cool uh, interview movie um, where they connected... A lot of the punks connected themselves to the beat generation. And so guys like Lydia, like Henry Rollins, Lydia Lunch, uh, you know, those kind of guys in particular, they, they, they saw themselves as like a continuation of that vibe, you know? Um, Patty and, Smith, uh, obviously. Patty Smith, yeah. It opened my mind to a lot of stuff and also to a lot of poets, like a lot of guys that I didn't realize were just in my midst, like... Uh, Guys like Gregory Corso or um, who's the guy? He actually lived down the block from me, John Giorno. Uh, John Giorno, who I always meant to like ring his doorbell or write him a postcard or something and just say, hey, you know, I'm big, you know, big fan, curious, you know, and I was always kind of too nervous to do it, you know, like uh, some of these guys, some of these things I really regret, like uh, I, I could have made better connections than I did. But still, I was in the midst, you know, you were in the mix of everything and it was really cool, you know. Do you know oh. Jesse? Do you know Jesse Malin? Are you two friends? Yeah, I know him. Over the years, we, we crossed paths a bunch. Uh, and of course, he's he's the owner, him and um, what's his name? The other guy from uh, from that band were owning Niagara and Coney Island High and uh, a couple of other places that we played regularly, you know. I mean, Niagara is kind of a meeting point, a, me a meeting spot. Uh, you know, people DJ there. But Coney Island High was really important to us. It was uh, a place right on St. Mark's Place. And it was really at a kind of a crux, you know, like at a spot where everybody crossed paths, everybody met. So uh, we used to play a lot of shows over there. It was almost like the wetlands that happened in the East Village. We We had these two venues that really... Madden and wetlands was probably the most important of all of them just because it was exactly what you're talking about the meeting place of hippies punks and just pretty much every other freak that was interested in something reggae scene was there hip-hop was there 
uh, it was righteous. It had environmental causes in its in its roots. It was very cool. And I, I think we didn't realize, again, we didn't know how spoiled we were to have this sort of place, you know, these kind of places that were encouraging us, you know, letting us play, you know? Yeah, I guess as well, everything was so <clears throat> affordable at that point in time. Yeah, um, it, cer- it certainly was. So you could be an artist <laughs> and just develop your craft and not have to worry about, you know, extortionate living costs. And I, I guess as well, there was, um, you know, changes in like, just like local laws uh, and um was it giuliani was the name of that mayor that kind of introduced a lot of of you know impositions on on creative expression putting it kindly and and it changed yeah. the city a lot right well there was a movement and there'd been a movement for years to kind of clean the city up i mean a lot of the things that we um i have a friend of mine that's a sociologist and he reminds me that um, the city was designed to be more like it is now than the way we fell in love with it. You know, we fell in love with New York at a time that it was going through a depression. It was seriously underpopulated. The economy was a, was a wreck. And uh, people didn't want to live there. And so, you know, folks like me just thought it was the best idea to go there immediately. Bam, right there. Everybody you wanted to know was going to be there. Um, and it kept all the riffraff out. People were afraid to be there that that weren't cool enough or that were freaked out by crime or, you know, things the, that didn't freak The lunatics freak, had freak. taken over the asylum. Yeah. You know, things that don't freak artists out, like, you know, crime, poverty, you know, Drugs. disease. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't realize I was as much as of one of those people as I am. And, uh, the generations that preceded me when I when I watched uh, a couple documentaries, like I watched this Downtown 82 movie and I was like, oh my God, it's like, you know, they really, these guys were really pioneering in some spots. Uh, yeah, that were tough. You know what I mean? Like, you know, em- empty buildings, no electric. I mean, we, we, we lived in squats too. I had a, I had a, a lot of time and uh, a lot of friends that lived in squats. I spent a lot of time in squats even though I generally just lived in a regular crowded apartment with four or five people, you know? Um, yeah, it was really uh, something else. It was really something else. I, I, I miss I miss that insanity. Yeah, I mean, even for me as a young kid growing up, I'd watch Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. <laughs> and it's that was my introduction to New York, was movies like that. And then through the, the John Hughes films, I'd see Chicago in a similar light. You know, and they mm-hmm. always seem to be these kind of terrifying, but also really exciting places where, you know, there was criminals and artists coexisting. <laughs> yeah. And like danger and excitement around every corner. It was, it yeah, was we didn't, I don't time. think we didn't realize it, you know, I think when we saw those movies and stuff, it always looked very, uh, it was like, oh yeah, cool. Well, this is the, how we can, how we're perceived outside or. I go look at that cheese ball, uh, you know, version of of this or that, <clears throat> and I realize now how, um, yeah, some of it I just I just didn't realize what was going on. Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely weird. I'm not I'm not sure that I would walk right into that now. You know, I think you had to be a bit young and stupid, and uh, 
it makes you feel this, you know? Um, but then again, no, you know, no, nobody really cared about us. One of the things I like about crappy neighborhoods is that, um, you know, you get to be invisible. Like the cops aren't looking at you. Nobody cares if you throw a party or have a recording studio or if you're loading stuff in and out of a place in the middle of the night, nobody notices, nobody says anything. You know, they're kind of like, oh, something's going on over there. Let's like, don't look, you know? Yeah, it's not worth the paperwork. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It helps. It helps a lot. And I mean, and that, but that's also, that also goes for the people like that are around, like the neighborhood kind of reflects that also people look out for each other. Um, people take a, turn a blind eye to some things and not to other things, you know, uh, you can trust that, that, you know, people might be looking out for your van. They like you. They go, Hey, I like this guy with the van, you know, Hey, Oh, you guys are the ones that move the guitars in and out of the alleyway late at night, but we know it's you guys. You know, if they see somebody else doing it, they go, hey, what are you doing? You know? I love that. Yeah, that Well, that's real community, isn't it? That's what that yeah. is. Real community. Yeah. What about um, cinema and, and stand-up comedy? Because, uh, you know, for me, that kind of time period conjures up like Jim Jarmusch, Spike Lee, a great kind of, you know, independent, mm. independent filmmaking scene. And then you had, obviously, juggernaut comedians like Andrew Dice Clay and you know, New York at that point seemed to not just music, but like everything was was so culturally vibrant and exciting. Were you were you into other stuff, or was it always just music for you? Nah, you could. I mean, you couldn't avoid being uh, surrounded by things. So, like you know, uh, there was a lot of movies happening. I mean, I think one of the things that a lot of my friends knew about was that kids movie. Yeah, right. And the kids, of course. Yeah, great film. Yeah, that happened. There was always great movies, great art theaters. Was that Harmony Corrin? Hmm? Harmony Corrin. Is that who made kids? And Larry Clark. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't too I wasn't too hip to that scene, but I knew a lot of people that were that were into that and they were like poking their heads around. Uh I mean, even people that knew I mean, they were just kids that literally they were like nobody was a, a professional actor, you know? And uh there was a lot of that. I mean, I I didn't I didn't realize that. We were just, again, we were surrounded by a lot of talent at that moment. Uh, I just thought that's what the world looked like. Mm. You know, I thought everybody just played instruments and had cool bands and, you know, made made a movie or got in a movie or was in a theater or lived across the street or upstairs from a great theater. It was just everywhere, you know, and I mean, everything from Shakespeare to avant-garde you know, weird ass stuff like, you know, or New Eureka Cafe that, that just closed recently, you know, poetry. I mean, it was, it was really, yeah, it, it was, it was full so much so that now I wish I could go back. I would do a lot more than I did. You know? Did you do a lot of documenting? Did you take photos or, you know, record stuff out and about or, or were you just too busy living it, being in it? Yeah. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have cell phones with cameras back then and recorders. So yeah. 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 No, my the way I the way I processed it was through uh, uh, what I did. You know, I I made myself part of it, and uh, you know, I always carry a notebook, so I have a lot of notes in my pocket. I wrote a lot of things down, and probably if I look back, I find a lot of funny stuff. You know, documents documents in that way. You know, um, I was kind of a beatnik before I knew what the beatniks were. You know, I people I would say that. like, "Hey, you're 
<laughs> you should check this thing out. You should do this thing. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, I don't know. These guys, like, <laughs> there was then I started that... to, yeah. Go on, Vic. Sorry. No, I mean, I, it was only later on that I started to really appreciate them because I realized that I was like, oh, wow, this really reverberates with me and my friends. Like, this really feels like us. And wow, people make a big deal out of these guys. And I thought, weird, like, you know, cool. Maybe somebody will one day, somebody will make a big deal out of us. I don't know, you know. Well, you guys seem to be a kind of a stepping stone between that old, you know, scene that we've just been talking about and then what came. Um, yeah. Because obviously, you know, were you always doing ska? Was the Slackers always like a ska band from, from its, you know, inception? Because at that time... Well, there wasn't really any bands doing that sort of thing, was there really? You'd, you'd had the two-tone movement, and that had been yeah. ama amazing and left its mark. Um, but the 80s, kind of at the tail end of the decade, and certainly the, the early years of the 90s, there weren't any like real popular ska bands, were there? No, no. I mean, we had a ska scene in New York um, that I found out about while I was in high school. And it was kind of... It was it was a kid scene. It was a high school kid scene. Somehow they were having a um, they were having a scene. To, I mean, to tell you what New York was like, they were having a fully active scene of all high school kids, and all the shows were in bars. So there were bars that were dedicated to certain high schools, where everybody would go hang out, watch a show. You know, these were these were just nobody ever got ID'd. There was never a worry that I'm not going to be able to get in this show because I don't have a fake ID or something, <laughs> you know. But that that middle of the 80s ska scene, there was a few really good bands. And then there was some of the bands that would become kind of like, they were the predecessor of the 90s kind of goofball, playing too fast kind of band, you know, in my opinion. That's my opinion. Um, but that all died out. And they all became funk bands. They all they all got a little popular. They t decided they would play, you know, yeah, something funky, or they would try to make their mark in R and B, and get a record contract. And they all just kind of disintegrated. And there was like maybe one or two bands left. I think there was the the one one band I would see was called the Scofflaws. And uh, when they I saw have the Scoff records, could you listen to their music, or were they more of just a live band? No, Scofflaws had no recordings at that time. It took him about till the 90s, maybe mid-90s to make a record, I think. Early 90s, maybe. But at that time, no, you just saw them in a club, you know? I remember the first time I saw them, I was like, wow, this is cool. Like, there are punks. There's skinheads, which at the time I had only known from the hardcore scene. Uh, but dressed kind of cool. They look kind of weirder than I'd ever seen skins look, you know, with their funny plaid shirts and things. I was like, what is this? And then um, a whole other element that looked like some other thing I had never seen, which was guys wearing suits and trench coats and girls hanging out, which was like the pretty much the deciding factor that I was going to come back. And they were all dressed like, you know, like 60s, like Twiggy and like, uh, you know, Agent 99 from Get Smart, you know, like I was like, look at this. This is great. And so, uh, yeah, the ska scene attracted me both musically and stylistically. I, I felt like, oh, I could really hang out here, you know. Um, and, they, and they were, even, yeah, they were even nice to punks, you know. There's something that annoys me about 
the perception of Scar today because of the aforementioned goofy bands you alluded to there. You know, it's very mm. popular and it's very easy to ridicule Scar as this silly, you know, oh, yeah. thing. But it's like you need to listen to the specials and Toots and the Matals and like actually understand that Scar music is essentially like soul music and punk music mm. combined. It's socially conscious. It's got a positive message. It's, oh, yeah. you know, it's intelligent, but it's also fun. Um, it's about unity. It's about love. And like all of the things that it represents to me is a world away. Although I do enjoy the music of, of the more silly bands. Um, I definitely, yeah. I definitely do. And they were my gateway into it all. Um, <laughs> Scar for me is like, if you don't like Scar, you don't like music as far as I'm concerned. Cause I'm like, what's not to love about yeah. that music? Well, that's what, that's what Two-Tone said, right? They said, if, uh, if you don't dance to this, then you don't dance right <laughs> i've never heard that that's amazing but it sums it up right there didn't it nail on the head how can yeah, you know that was yeah that was the i mean that was the that was uh a big part of the music for me too was that it was dance music it was something that you could get uh you could get in a crowd and it wasn't a mosh pit you know which i certainly enjoyed and i still enjoy like you know punk was my savior when i was a teenager and i really like was so happy i found it it did, did a lot for me that no, nothing else could um but man when i found ska and reggae i was like wow you could really like people are dancing to this and then the idea that i could be in a band that would make people dance and connect in that way and that you could go out you could still be kind of a wild hooligan character but you could like do it with some style bring a little you know a little extra cool to it I was like, wow, this is just like, this is perfect, you know? Um, on top of it, I've been a blues fan since I'm a young, uh, young kid. You know, I, I, around 10 or 12 years old, I found blues. Um, and my mom loved doo-wop and Motown. I mean, I had all this music around me. And I find that all reflected, like you're saying, I find that reflected in ska and reggae, like completely. It's, it's the same music, basically, you know? just with a slightly different emphasis, you know? Uh, How do you go about finding other people with the same tastes and, and vision and dream? Because that's, I think, the hard thing about forming a band that has, you know, more than, say, four members, like a lot of traditional rock and punk groups do, is you've got all the horns and everything else as well. There's a lot of different elements to juggle. Um, mm -hmm. How do you go about, you know, sourcing kindred spirits at a time when there's not a lot of them around was it just on the scene you'd be like there's one other guy he looks like me i'm going to approach him <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it was weird i mean and this is again why i feel like it was a fortunate time to be in new york um you know there was a lot of people hanging around i don't think guys even knew like uh, guys that joined the slackers weren't joining a band because they wanted to be in a ska band they just wanted to be in a band and we looked, I mean, it was all friends of friends, you know? It was like, oh, I know a guy that plays guitar. Let me ask him. Oh, I met this guy. He knows one of the bands that he likes, uh, Fishbone, for example. You know, and I, also that was underground music. It's like, okay, cool, this guy. Well, oh, this guy knows the specials. He's a specials fan. I saw him wearing this jacket, you know, and I was like, hey, talking to him. 
uh, yeah, you've, everybody found each other, you know, like, um, and it was, it was underground enough that it was cool. You know, you, you, you still had to kind of be initiated into the, into the flock, you know, uh, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of preconceptions about it either. You were kind of making it as you, as you found it, you know, um, and who didn't like Motown? I mean, Motown, Stax, you know, this kind of music, even if I didn't know all of it, I would hear the new stuff. I'd, wow, this is great. Somebody play me something that they found. Uh, when we got our horn players, Dave and our old, our old trumpet player, Mush, they were kind of our like reggae, uh, you know, music source. They had all these old records and they kept bringing rock steady records and old ska and like heavy kind of, you know, DJ chatters and, you know, it was a real education. We were learning as we went and we just thought, this is just great stuff, man. It's like a, it's like a never ending well of, of material, you know, like you could just dig right into it and, uh, it's great, you know? Yeah. And then as the nineties kind of like progress and evolve, New York then becomes this really kind of varied scene, doesn't it? You've got like Swans and Sonic Youth and um, mm. and then obviously John Spencer Blues Explosion and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, avant-garde music seemed to take over and rise. And did you sit in pretty well with all of that? Did the Slackers kind of have a natural home within that scene? Or were you still sort of like a bit of an island to yourselves as, as the kind of alternative generation you know rose to prominence yeah we were always alternative even to the alternative we right were. yeah 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 the alternative didn't really to the fit. alternative <laughs> yeah we didn't really fit many places i mean i guess when uh like i'm trying to think the bit they used to be right before like I, I suppose right at the time that i showed up there was there were these matinee shows that would happen at cbgb's and everybody knows about the hardcore matinee on sundays but on Saturdays, there was a ska matinee. And uh, that was where a lot of the people that I met that were from the older scene, that's where they all knew each other from. And different bands would come in from different towns. And, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of bands playing ska or anything. Um, and then CBGB's was also kind of, it had gone to the avant-garde. There wasn't even a lot of punk bands playing at CB's anymore. You know, I would go stand outside and listen to bands and, you know, hope that I got, I could sneak in or get in for cheap as the set got, you know, further on into the set, they'd, they'd cut the price of the ticket. Um, but bands like Dinosaur Jr., for example, like they would yep. be playing or be like Lunachicks or uh, there was a band called Karen Black, like the, the, it was called like, I don't know, the Fantastic Horror of Karen Black. There was a lot of bands and they were, there were all these different directions, you know, some of it was rock, some of it was avant-garde. Uh, there was a lot of noise music, you know, there was, uh, the, 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 remember the spin doctors, right? Like, of course. Yeah. Spin doctors and blues traveler were hanging around New York at that time. Right. Uh, starting their scenes. They didn't sound anything like when they had pop hits, they, it was almost like they were different bands. They were reinvented for the for the record industry. But at that time, they were playing this funk, like hippie funk, 
and there were there were there were punks that were playing funk that were kind of like maybe could have been vaguely related to like what happened with the Chili Peppers. Yeah, but it was something else. It was you know there was a black punk scene that was a black punk funk scene like Twenty Four Seven Spies and guys like that. I mean, it's a lot of it is just completely forgotten. It's kind of like off the. It was off the rails. It's on another planet over there. And then the slackers appeared in the midst of it. You know, everybody thought we were like some old guys from the 50s. They were like, what is this shit? You know? Now, what are you guys trying to do? You know? I love it. Well, if you're out of if you're out of step and out of fashion at the start, then you can never fall out of fashion, right? You can just, if you stay the course, you can continue mm. to carve your own niche. And you're never going to fall from grace because it's like, well, we were weird from from the very start. Yeah, actually, the we we found a band in New York that was a psychedelic uh, band. They were called the the Toads. Uh huh. And the right. Toads, Great the Toads, yeah, they dressed like they dressed like the Yardbirds, and they sounded like early Pink Floyd, like somewhere between early Pink Floyd and and like yeah, Yardbirds, Kinks. And we found them and we were like, oh, we're going to play shows together. Like us two, like we're good. And we tried to play as many shows as we could together. Um, we got each other. I don't think anybody got us, you know. <laughs> uh, it was great, though. I mean, it was just great, you know. So that, that, those were up years. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's fascinating to me, though, because like when Rancid come along, you know, um, like how does that story and that partnership begin? Because um, for me, some of the best tunes on the Life Won't Wait record, I know you had a big mm. hand in writing. Um, Hooligans, Life Won't Wait, Wrongful Suspicion. They were all songs that oh, yeah. you that you penned. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, yeah, totally. And they're the best tunes on the album for me. Um, oh, and thank it's, you. It's you like <laughs> yeah, dude. They're like I, as I, as you know, I DJ and I play those songs all the time in my sets. Um, they obviously arrive in New York and are taken by what you're doing, and bring you into the mix and 
use your skills to elevate their own status perhaps <laughs> yeah well you know it was cool because it was it was kind of a synchronicity as we would as we were bouncing around new york and then originally starting to travel a bit uh we weren't going too far i think the furthest we'd go is we'd take a ride down to florida um you know once or twice a year we might go to the Midwest, bounce around. We were we were finding bands that we had some things in common with. And then all of a sudden, 1996 happens or whatever, and there's a two-tone song on the radio. And it's, what the hell band is this? It sounds like a weird version of the specials. Uh, what is this? That and, was Time uh, Bomb, was it? And that was Time Bomb, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, it was kind of happening somewhere that we weren't aware of you know and i think they even filmed the they might have filmed the video in new york so they were already kind of like a little new york you know uh fan they were a fan of the new york look or whatever uh they came into they came in to play a show uh and were looking for some horn players they wanted to have a horn player and they ended up finding a guy that i was playing with in a, in a, we were, we were currently in an all-star group called the stubborn all-stars in, in New York. Well, we had picked all the guys that were kind of trad interested musicians and put them all together in this band that was, you know, we, we still hadn't really figured out how to play old school, but we were doing our best. And, um, yeah, from that guy sitting in with Rancid, they heard our CD cause he gave him a CD and then, uh, they said, hey, why don't you guys come open for us? We're going to do a European tour. And then, this yeah. This is the Stubborn All-Stars, not the Slackers. Yeah, Stubborn yeah. All-Stars. Yeah. Because Stubborn yeah. All-Stars were a bit ahead of this, the Slackers so far as uh, making a record and doing things. We always thought Stubborn All-Stars was going to be the band that that was the working band that, that we were all going to make a buck off, you know? Right. And what happened? How come it wasn't? Just too many people wanted to do different stuff. Honestly, I don't know. It kind of it kind of fell apart at a at a funny moment. That it should have been doing good, and it I don't know what happened. It kind of fell apart. Um, but lucky enough, I had already worked my way into the Rancid bunch because having listened to their record, I noticed that they had organ on the record, and I told them, I said, uh, "Hey, I noticed you got organ on the record, and I'm an organ player, and I don't see that you have an organ player with you, so if." If you want, you know, my services are here. I'm I'm happy to play with you. And they were like, oh, cool, man. Yeah. And I played with them a couple times and then it became a regular thing. Then they uh, they asked me to go on tour. They asked the horn section to go on tour for a big a big tour. They wanted to have a big band for a couple songs, you know. And so our horn section toured with them. Yeah, we all made friends. We all uh, musically found all these things we had in common. And then, you know, everything went from there. You know, we all ended up playing on that Life Won't Wait record, you know? So I think all of us in some form. And then through them, they they introduced me to guys from the specials. They introduced me to, you know, I got a writing credit with Buju Banton on that record. Like crazy. Like things I could have been like, what? This will never happen, you know? Were they keen to bring you in as a songwriter fairly quickly? Like how did, you know, because obviously playing with a band is different to you know, writing for, for their records. How, how did that segue take place? Was it like an organic one? Was it an immediate one? Were you like, hey, I've got these ideas I think you guys might like? How did, how did they all come to be on that album? 
I mean, it was pretty organic. It was, uh, we were on tour with a couple of different, uh, a couple of different festival tours. I think we did Lollapalooza was the first one. And I hung around playing a lot of, you know, I'd sit around the back playing guitar and, uh, Tim and I would like really, we had really hit it off just as friends and like whatever. But then of course we had all this musical stuff in common, but we were listening to Dylan records together, talking about the stones, credence, you know, like funny stuff that you're like, Oh, cool. You like this too. Cool. Let's play this tune. And then, um, at a certain point we, uh, yeah, they had to, they were making demos for a new record. And I was invited to come play on the demos because they knew that I was like a kind of a jack of all trades musician. And uh, yeah, my girlfriend at the time was working for, like they had just started Hellcat. She had started working for them. It was kind of a family affair, you know? Uh, I went in, I played bass on the demos, mostly bass, which is yeah. kind of funny because Matt Freeman's like a much better bass player than me probably. But oh, uh, he's, a, he's a beast, yeah. But he didn't know how to play reggae, for example. Right. Like yeah, he, yeah, yeah, was, yeah. he he knew yeah. a vague idea and ska and stuff. He had ideas. But I, of course, was studying in a way that was like the 60s and, and 70s style. So I was bringing this like 60s, 70s thing in. And like, you know, yeah, even my two-tone style was pretty, pretty rootsy two-tone, if you can call it that. Mm. Uh yeah, and then I, I was like, you know, I got songs, man. I'm like, we want to, you know, I got a, a couple tunes. You want to play them? And then they just, yeah, it was very organic, very organic. Yeah, it was cool, you know? I mean, that for me is my favorite Rancid record. I know everybody says Outcome the Wolves is the one, but I just like, mm. the, I like the variety on Life Won't Wait. And when it came time to kind of reading up about yourself in the lead up to yeah. today's chat, I was like, I can't believe this dude has done like my three favorite songs on that album ah. um so yeah dude and it makes sense to me having seen you know the slackers live and seeing like your vibe those three tunes are you know it's the slackers vibe isn't it like that's kind of what you guys do better than anyone. yeah well you know i try i i there was a lot of things that i could do there was a lot of things i was interested in doing that even you know, the slackers weren't doing. We had already decided to stick to a more 60s vibe. We were going to try to recreate a 1960s sound with our own songwriting that would obviously be influenced by the moment. Like when I listen to my my songwriting now, I hear that I coexisted with bands like Nirvana, for example. You know, there's no doubt. Like we, we were coming from the same era of writing. Uh it's just that they went one way. They they chose to sound like, you know, whatever Pixies grungy sound. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we chose to go backwards. And we liked, you know, you know, I like I like that lush kind of groovy sound of the sixties. And um, but I noticed that the songwriting, you know, we were all writing songs of this era. You know, there's a certain way of phrasing things and chord progressions that are not just typical blues progressions, always throwing a weird chord in there somewhere, you know? Um, and so I brought that to the Rancid guys and I think they heard, they, you know, I, they were like, hey, that's cool. I like that. That's a weird change. Like, let's use that. And uh, 
And then we would take turns writing verses because obviously my voice, my lyrical voice is not the same as Rancid. They have a certain lyrical sense. Yeah. So maybe I'd get a verse in there or I'd get a chorus or whatever, and they'll kind of weave in and out. But those guys really, you know, they obviously they have, they have a certain lyrical style, you know? Yeah. They're all about the street, aren't they? And kind of the, the underground scene. And a yeah, very scene celebration of punk culture. That's very much what Rancid do very well. Yeah, and yeah it's totally. interesting because your lyrics first, um, well, State House, as as your version is called, a lot more political. Mm. Uh, and yeah, yeah it's, it's nice to hear that version. That was on like the second latest record you put out, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it's on the the latest full length that we did. Uh. Or maybe it was on the, yeah, I don't know. We've released it in a couple of versions now just because we we had a couple of opportunities. Um, but that's a great example. Like, so I had that idea and it was it was a story that was happening at the time, right? I, that must have been 2000, no, that was 98. 98, I think it was. And so there was that story, it was in the news about the, the Capitol building flying the uh, Confederate flag. And people were pissed off about it, you know, because there was a, there was kind of a mini, you know, if you want to call it a BLM or a, some sort of a civil rights, you know, there was a kind of a black civil rights moment happening in the late eighties and early nineties that was, it was still going. People were still, still aware of this. And I remember reading that and going, man, that is something like we, that is, that's a tune, you know? And I came up with this riff and this basic song um, and my verse was really political. And then they kind of went for a wider, they kind of went wider with it, like into all these crazy, like kind of conspiracy theories and, you know, actually things that the punks owned back then. We, we owned conspiracy theories back then, you know, it wasn't right wing yet. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting shift that is. And they shout out all the bands, don't they? They're, you know, shouting out all the, all the New York bands and bands that they've met through the New York scene in the Rancid mm. song. What's the deal with at the end? He says, Marky, go get your shine box. What's the, what's all that about? Uh, that was a joke. We were on tour with the Ramones and, uh, and Marky Ramone became really tight with, uh, with Lars particularly. And they had a joke of, they had a, the Goodfellas. They had a joke with the Goodfellas. Hey, you know, go get your shine box, you know? And it was, it was just kind of their little catchphrase, you know? Um, <laughs> Because obviously it's, yeah. a, it's a diss in Goodfellas. And I was like, they can't be dissing Marky Ramone, surely. But yeah, it's an in-joke. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because he would be like, you know, they would be like, all right, I'll see you on stage, you know, da -da, whatever. Hey, have a good night, all right, you know? And he'd be like, hey, Laws, hey, don't forget your shine box, all right? You know? <laughs> like, Well, you know, New Yorkers, the, the good thing about New Yorkers is that we're ball busters in a very friendly way. And... Absolutely. I would say, I would say that Rancid, not all of them, but I'd say half half of Rancid has got a really good ball busting sense of humor that is very simpatico with it with my personality. That half even laws of Matt. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Definitely. Yeah, but yeah. but definitely, even I get close to crossing the line. I definitely crossed the line with them, <laughs> and I had to learn that. Like, okay, not everybody has this asshole sense of humor that new yorkers do you know i'm sorry i apologize <laughs> well it's funny isn't yeah. it because when you become more successful 
and you rise the tides of the music industry, you do come into contact with people who take themselves very seriously, perhaps when they should not, because, and I'm not talking about rancid here, but like, you know, a a lot of bands are so pretentious and think that it's also, you know, precious and important. And you're like, lighten up a bit, dude. (laughs) Like it's, it's rock and roll. It should be fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think that's for sure. And I think you find the higher up you go, the cooler, the, the bigger the bands get, the nicer the people get. Like yeah. they have less to prove. They've been there. They've done it, you know. And I was definitely in a kind of a, that was the beginning of my of my professional career at that time. So I certainly found myself outgunned a lot of times and and feeling a, a bit, you know, nervous and and intimidated by a lot of people, you know, only to learn that like yeah, like the guys in Devo ended up being the nicest guys I would meet, you know, or that you could sit around with the Ramones and like you know. Uh, eat potato chips and you know it was just like oh okay you guys are actually really nice people like i'm not getting any rock star bullshit from you guys you know but um i certainly was nervous a lot of times and i probably put my foot in my mouth just trying to be funny you know i didn't realize that people yeah not everybody is really you know they're not everybody comes from from this east coast uh you know asshole sense of humor thing and it really is just, it's just like, sometimes I imagine, I think, I, oh my God, did I say that? Like, how could I have said that to anyone in, in the world? You know, it's just a human thing, you know? It, and then, it then comes you get from back. a place of love. It comes from a positive place. As you say, it's like cross signals, isn't it? Some people are just like, yeah. what the hell did that guy just say? <laughs> yeah. Well, because it's it's because when you're trying to make friends with somebody and you really feel like you're, you're, you're making friends, you can push their buttons and see and see how far you can go. Cause it's a kind of, it's kind of a, a test of trust. It's like, well, do you trust me? I mean, like, tell me, do you really think I'm that much of an asshole? You know? And like, you know, how thick is your skin? Like, let's see, let's see what you got. And it's a way to kind of, uh, lovingly, you know, poke at each other. And I don't think that every culture has that. I know, I know, I definitely see it in England. I mean, England is, is amazing when it comes to that. It's like, and Scotland you know. even more so. If you spend much time up there, they absolutely yeah. love it up there. They're the kings of ballbusters up in Scotland. But you go to like a yeah. Glasgow pub, there's no way. Oh my you're, God. If especially as an American, there's no way they're not going to absolutely rib you. But again, it will be from a place of love and they'll be testing you. And if you can take <laughs> it and you respond well, absolutely. then you're immediately in. Right, right, right. And it's And then it's like, okay, you're in, you're cool. We got this. You know, now we got this. It's like, oh, you always want to be in a gang with guys that are tougher than you, you know? You know, or in a band with with musicians that are better than you. You want to be like, okay, you know, make me live up to my potential, you know? Um, yeah, you know? I mean, and if, I suppose that's a beautiful way to think about it, you know? I want to make sure my gang is tougher than me, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Well, you elevate yourself that way, don't you? You're only as good as the company you keep. Absolutely. So what time in the um, series of, of years unfolding do you kind of like remain in the rancid camp until and then kind of go your, your separate ways? And is it all amiable? Does it just kind of run its course? Yeah, I think it kind of ran its course naturally. After we did Life Won't Wait, Rancid kind of felt like they had to reinstate their punk, uh, you know, ethos or whatever. They they pe- People uh, were like, oh, what what kind of record is this, you know? I mean, because they they were really doing a lot of experimenting. They had they had written a rockabilly song. They have that, you know. They had done all sorts of things. They were they they were really pushing it. And I like I thought that was really cool because they were more like the Clash, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was like that Sand and Easter album, wasn't it? Yeah. And then, of course, you know, the Slack is being part of that world. We were pushing our envelopes in all different directions too, getting really busy. Um, but they kept asking me to come back. I think they asked me to come back for three more records after that. I did Indestructible. I did Let the Dominoes Fall and maybe something else I did. Oh, wow. So you were basically in the mix right up until... Kevin started working with him from the interrupters. And then I guess, he yeah, would, I, he would yeah, I guess doing what you were doing with, with all the keys and, and everything yeah. else. And the Slack has got so busy that it just became ridiculous. It was like, well, the Slack is on my main thing and I'm just going to be busy doing this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had fun with Rancid. I don't think anything was weird about it. I did the transplants little thing with them. Did you? wasn't really my style and i think that's when i think that's when i realized that tim and i were kind of like our taste our tastes were kind of parting and it was like okay cool he's going off in some other direction a bit more hip-hop he always had that hip-hop kind of vibe and then uh the slackers had really defined themselves and uh it was one of those weird moments too where i realized you know i mean i certainly had the offer to, to be in the band, you know? And it was a strange thing to be like, you know, I can't, I'm not sure I can give myself to another band. I think I got to be in the slackers, you know? And maybe some people would say that that's a really stupid idea, particularly other professional musicians I've spoken with about it. Well, like, man, you did what, you know? And I'm like, I'm sorry, man. It's my personality. My personality is like, I kind of got to be, I got to be me, you know? And, uh, and after that, I kind of, yeah, I think I had to own it. Like, okay, I'm, I'm in my late twenties, early thirties, whatever. I know what I like and I know what I want. And I'd rather be a little, you know, I'd rather be the captain of my own small ship, you know, than the, than the, the mate on another, somebody else's ship. I hear you, man. And I back that and I'm the same, you know, I think that, um, integrity is everything. And, and it yeah. really, it really does. You get to sleep sound at night and you get to look at yourself in the mirror and, and back yourself, right? Knowing that you had that chance to go for the money and it would have been fun and you would have enjoyed success, but it wouldn't have been yours. And you would have kicked yourself, I think, down, down the line and gone, fuck, man, I really wish I'd put in more time and, and energy with, with my thing because who, know, who knows what could have been? And you don't want to live that way, do you, where you go, what, what if? Yeah. Yeah, you can't do that. I mean, I knew that from, uh, that's the way I got into the music. You know, it wasn't like I was, you know, I, I had already taken a lot of chances. And the guys, it's also loyalty, you know. My band is still my band from way back. Like, they're still the guys that started it with me. And, uh, yeah, they've been through a lot of ups and downs. They trust They trust me, you know, for, for better or worse, you know. They put a lot of trust in me. And, uh and that was part of the story too, you know? You guys have great camaraderie and it shows and shines on stage, man. Again, it's like you can see you're a real band. There's real trust and love and enjoyment, most importantly, you know, because again, it can yeah. be it can be uh, the case that you go see a band who's been together for a long time and you can see with the stiffness of their movement and even in their eyes that they're mm. doing it because it's now at this point in their life the only way they can really make money. 
Um, mm. so, so they're resigned to go out and play with these schmucks that they've been playing with all these years that they, in yeah. some cases, probably can't stand the sight of or can just about tolerate. Um, but then you see bands like you guys, and there's plenty of other examples that just still love it and are still brothers. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, you know, come rain or shine, we're in this together and we're going to have a damn good time. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, the, the guys are with, we're all together on the mission. It's like, I never feel like it's my, it's my band, except for the fact that it's the band I'm in with, with, with these guys. You know, and uh, it's one of those things that I get to really like. I ask them a lot of times if I'm going to take a chance on something. Like on the last record with the State House song, we did a song, uh, you know, dissing on the Proud Boys. You know, I wanted to make sure I was like, well, you know, let me make sure that it's okay with you guys. Like, I don't want to put you in a spot that you don't want to be in. And I'm like, if that's the case, you know, I'll put it on my solo record. You know, I'll, I'll go play with another band. Uh, and these guys are cool, man. They're like, you know, they're, they're people that are willing to stand by their, uh, by their values and they take chances. You know, a lot of ways we're a punk band, uh, by uh, ethos, you know, uh, and not more by than, sound more than many punk bands who sound punk you know because it yeah <laughs> for me it's the attitude and it's what if you don't stand for something you'll fall for anything kind of thing and absolutely um, that's a hundred percent you guys are obviously with those examples you just made there and many others over the years you are willing to take a stand for what you believe to be right despite whatever kickback that may get from you know outside sources but i guess in some cases maybe maybe your own fan base as well sometimes um yeah well you know i like to i like to think that we cheer our fan our fans on we we're we're very much a part of the world that we play for and uh i feel like everybody needs i think with the last record particularly i felt like everybody needed a little bit of cheerleading and like a punch in the arm to say like, hey, I'm thinking about the same things you're thinking about. And it's cool. Like, we can talk about this. Like, let's, you know, don't keep your mouth shut out of fear or don't think that you're just a loser. Like, y- you're not the loser. You know, and I think that this is what I get out of music and out of my my social and art scene is that that people bu- build me up and build my confidence up and give me the spirit to keep going. And I try to do that with, you know, particularly at this, the things got, you know, things got weird the past bunch of years. It's the, it's the moment, it's the time, you know, like I love that little, there's a little meme going around where it's like, uh, uh, it's like Joe Strummer or something like that. And it's like, he's saying like, this is what, this is the moment you've been practicing for, or this is what Joe, this is what Joe trained you for, like something like that. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, that word for me, community, is when it really shines. Um, you know, is is when people show up for, for each other and um stand up for what's right despite the consequences in some cases. Um Yeah. Does it ever get hairy out there on the road with a song like State House or or you know, others you may have? Have you ever come into predicaments that have risked physical safety? I mean there's definitely times when you, you know, I might have to be a bit more diplomatic about something or I'm wondering, like, as things are coming out of my mouth, I'm like, huh, let's see what's, what's going on in the crowd over there. We definitely get some looks. I mean, we had a couple of people, I remember one night in um, Vegas, maybe, 
you know, I, I said something or whatever. And just like the back, you know, a, a chunk of people in the back of the room, like walked out like, oh man, slackers, man. Wow. Blah, blah, blah. You know? And I was like, well, I guess, okay, cool. Good. I guess you, at least we know, at least we know where you're at, you know? Mm -hmm. There was a funny thing recently, Vic, where um, some guy was having a go at Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine, and he was like, stick to music, man. What do you know? And he's like, well, here's my Harvard degree in political science. Um, <laughs> and the guy was all mad. He's like, when did Rage Against the Machine get all political? And you're like, dude, oh, you, gosh. Have, have you been listening to the music all these years? And there are those yeah. people, too. It's so funny. They're like, what? The slackers are getting all political. It's like, well, duh. <laughs> uh, no i know and and we come from we've i think we very much come from that two-tone lineage um but i mean you go before that too i mean ska reggae reggae's been political since day one it's a social you know you speak to your scene you speak to your your part of the culture you tell stories that are true stories uh that's one of the beautiful things about calypso that that i think calypso was the music it was the news that they ain't going to put on the news. You know, you could talk about the local cops in a Calypso song and everybody would be like, ah, yes, I know who you're talking about. You know, it's the way to get the message across uh, to everybody, you know. And when I think about how much good influence I got from music and, and from my music scenes, from going to shows, I learned so much about life. You know, I learned about how to relate to people. I learned about the real, my real politics and not just the stuff that uh, my parents told me or that school told me or whatever. I actually got to talk to people about real things, exposed to information that I wouldn't have got ex exposed to. You know, I, and I'm, I try to continue that. I try to be like part of that. You know, what it's done for me, I try to keep doing for people, you know, because I know it's important, you know. Well, that's you in a nutshell, my friend. You're a positive, um, you know, a, a, an awesome entertainer, but also just human being out there in the world. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who I've come into contact with in this life who really live what they, you know, share on stage in their day-to-day -day life. And that, to me, seems like the essence of who you are and what you're all about is not just to kind of walk the walk. Sorry, not just to talk the talk, but to walk the walk as well and to really live it and be it yeah. and pass it on. Well. I'm a bad, I'm a bad actor. So, you know, I can't, I can't <laughs> fake <it>. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and where's home? Do you like, so for me, whenever, whenever I tour, I try and stay. So I'm in Australia right now. I only had a five day mm. tour down here straight after the cruise. I hopped on a plane, came down here and I just was like, well, I've got nothing to go back home for. So I'm just going to stay here and DJ for a few months. So I'm down here to the end oh, of yeah. January. But you strike me as a free spirit as well. Like, are you someone who likes to move about the earth and, you know, just kind of like wherever you land, chill there for a bit, stay with friends, go traveling, exploring, wait till the next yeah. tour starts. Is that, is that your life in some ways? That is very much a good description of my life. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, that's inspiring to me to know that it's, you know, something that is sustainable and, and, and something that can feed your soul yeah. long term, um, you know. Because for me, travel is everything and meeting new people and, and just kind of experiencing different cultures and living in different places for periods of time. If you yeah. are someone that wants to grow and, and learn more about life, um, the best way to do it, you know, you can read all the books you want and it's oh, yeah. important to be educated. But only in really living it do we learn, I think, the, the meaning of life and, and it, all its rich 
beautiful and varied wonder. That is a hundred percent true, man. I I took off from New York, particular. I went particularly vagabond style in uh, about 2018. I decided I was really gonna just like I don't. I'm not really gonna go back anywhere, which I rarely did. I didn't do that much anyway. Um, but then I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a couple of places that I haven't put my attention towards. And a lot of that was in the Southwest of the, of the United States. And what you're saying about, yeah, you can read books, but you can't get it until you go there. That's been my experience with the Southwest and with the, uh, that I would say that in particular, I really discovered a lot about that area and the people and, uh, yeah, it kind of redefined a lot of the things I thought I knew, you know, I had to go back and research things and and i talk to people and then i research and then it's almost been like i've been going to school about america again like i had a whole history class whereabouts are you talking when you say southwest like arizona places like that or further south yeah so i took i took i i, I wanted to concentrate on going across um a lot of the native american reservations and i really i thought before it's too late let me actually take a look like with my own eyes talk to the people I know, play some shows, really look around. And yeah, little bits, little details, little information here, there, here, there. You start to put it together. And I was like, oh, wow. This is something they never taught me back home in school. I mean, I went to college. I took classes. I, you know, I took also, I read books. There are things that they don't they don't tell you in the books, and you you see it you see it in action. You see the people moving around. Uh, just really interesting stuff. Like, you know, I had never connected. Like, for example, I had never made the connection that like, you know, Navajo people start like pick them as like you know Native American Native American culture and Mexican culture, like bam, right together. And I was like, oh. Mexicans, Mexicans are Native Americans. Like, duh. It's right there in front of your face the whole time. But nobody ever tells you that, you know? And uh, I just actually heard an interview with Buffy St. Marie this morning. For some reason, they, you know, they know what I like on the internet, you know? And she's saying she grew up in Massachusetts and people didn't understand that she was uh, indigenous, that she was Native American. They kept telling her, what do you mean? They're all gone. They're all dead. They don't exist. And she's like, well, tell that to my relatives. They're there. They're living. They're alive. They have all the same feelings as you. And when I go down to the Southwest and I discovered all that and made all those kind of connections and then traveled to the South of the U.S. and uh, even saw that reflected in places like Georgia and Virginia and Florida, and you know, and, and I'm like, oh, they like I got I pieced America all back together in a different shape than it was five years ago for me. Like that's that's what travel does for me. And I I I thousand percent, if everybody got out and took a look around, it would be better for every everybody, you know? Yeah. I love that, dude. And presumably, you know, I was gonna ask if you were documenting the experiences, but as you probably alluded to earlier on is probably the case now as well they'll be appearing as stories and songs and and whatnot but 
fascinating yeah, journey yeah. man fascinating would you yeah. ever do like a travel book or anything like that a different form of documentation i you know i'm always open for anything i mean i'm i i write a lot and i write in a lot of different styles but yeah i've never been really good at uh, documentary writing or at a uh you know narrative kind of stuff mm. i'm mostly songs poems little short form you know uh but yeah whatever you know I mean, we do what we do to communicate. I communicate however I can communicate, you know? Same. Um, well, that's what, that's why I love doing, doing these. Man. Yeah. And, um, I this think... evolution of, 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 of style here with podcasts has been the great, a great thing for, for the world, huh? Hasn't it? And just connection yeah. and, and, you know, as much as technology is, you know, the bane of my life in many cases. And I think it's ero eroded a lot of good stuff. The fact that I can sit here in Australia and talk to you over zoom uh you know that incredible yeah. magic and gift is not lost on me and what i've been yeah. thinking a lot which i'd like to kind of end on this note um thank you for a, for an amazing chat man i knew it was going to be cool and insightful and uh yeah i hope we can do it again in person sometime but i'd like to just end with throwing this idea back at you because being down here and being in the headspace that i'm in and realizing everything that i have in my life and everything that i'm grateful for it's all mm. a result of music, you know, and getting to travel and work and sort of pay for my stay in places like Australia and America mm. and all over Europe. Like music's such an amazing gift and is really the source of everything that's good in my life. Um, and I, yeah, I'm presuming that that is the case with you as well. But what a gift it is to be able to travel and experience the world because when you travel as a a musician a performer an entertainer as well you do see more often than not the positive side of humanity as well because you're in town to to bring light to the you know the community <laughs> and so people are going to welcome you in with open arms and you know you're going to get to experience the local flavors and cultures perhaps more oh, so yeah. than a stranger breezing into town so yeah man thank, yeah thank god or whoever for music yeah. right absolutely no, I always say that when I come into town and play shows, I'm finding the people that I was going to be looking for anyway. You know, I'm I'm playing the venue that I was going to be looking for or the bar that I was going to hope to find, you know. And from there, they'll tell me about where to go to a bookstore or a record shop or what historical thing to see or who to who to talk to. It's a real gift to be able to do that and, you know, wander around in that capacity. Yeah. It's yeah. great. Well, Vic, you're a gentleman, my friend, and I'm very pleased to have made a connection with you on the boat and further and deepen that connection today. And uh, Yeah, yeah, really cool. Any UK or European touring plans for next year? I hope so. Yeah, we got a fall, we, we got a fall tour that we're planning to do. That'll be UK and, uh, and Europe. And um, I'm always popping around. I'm sure in the midst of, you know, somewhere between now and then I'll be over there playing solo gigs. I'm always making little records with people. I, uh, I'm always doing different projects. So, you know, uh, that's my life. You know, you, you, you Google my name, there are a whole bunch of different projects come up. So, you know, there it is. <laughs> and, date, and dates and dots on the map. <laughs> yeah. And dates. Yeah. It's like, Oh, I'm playing here. I'm playing there, doing this, doing that. It's, it is really the way I enjoy, knock on wood, it's the way I enjoy my life the best. And, you know, as long as I can do it, I will happily, 
happily do it. I'm glad that there's people out there that are enjoying what I do. That's that's a pleasure for me. Hell yeah. You know. Yeah, man. Well, listen, I hope that we can adventure together sometime, someplace, somewhere. Yeah, totally. You know, whether that's a show or even just, you know, an experience. Um, I've really yeah. enjoyed really enjoyed chatting to you, man. And uh yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you for the music. And uh yeah sleep tight i guess will you be staying up for a while being the night out oh, i'll are? be up for quite a while the, the day's oh, yeah. just getting started me too i'm it's off only 9 30 <laughs> i'm off to the beach it's 12 30 p.m here so i'm off for a beach day nice oh, loving it um have a great christmas man and i'm gonna i'm gonna put this out on new year's day what better way to start the new year so uh awesome. i'll send you a link when it's up and yeah you can share at your end if you so desire and um yeah cool till next man Vic. Really cool Love and yeah, respect. thank you so much, man. Cool. Cheers, brother. Later.